three-story county The Mustang still runs free Eagle soars above the pinion pines And we know these horses stand for something That is precious and more rare Than all the silver and the gold from them old mines So let them run Hi, welcome to Horse Sense 101. I'm your host, Joe Jones, Vale, Oregon's resident redneck and owner of Joe Jones Performance Horses. Horse Sense 101 is a podcast dedicated to helping you have a meaningful relationship with your horse and for them to be a willing partner in all your adventures. The podcast is available every Monday morning at 6 a.m. Mountain Time, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Don't forget to join us on our Facebook group, Horse Sense 101. You can also find the podcast link, calendar, and news about our upcoming events on our webpage, www.horse-sense101.com, and sign up for our newsletter there as well. And if you have a moment and are so inclined, please leave a review on Podchaser. It's free, and I would really appreciate it. This week, I am honored to be able to visit with Mr. Richard Jordan. Horses that have gone through his program include an NCHA Futurity Open Champion, NCHA Horse of the Year, dozens and dozens of championships at all ages, and millions and millions of dollars won. He and his business associate, Todd Nelson, have consistently turned out some of the very best two-year-old cutting horse prospects in the world. Oh, and by the way, Richard has plenty of cutting championships he has won himself. Good morning, Mr. Jordan. I really appreciate you joining me. Um, and uh, taking the time. I know you've got a lot of horses to ride and a lot of things to do every day. And, and it means a lot that, that you would give me this time. How are you this morning, sir? I'm real good, Joe. How are you? Doing, doing, doing well now. Um, uh, let, let's, let's start our, our conversation off by getting to, to know you and kind of where you came from. Um, tell me about your, your family life growing up. Um, where you were raised, um, and what what life was like for for young Richard Jordan. Well, when I was a little bitty kid, my my first memory was up at uh, up Bully Creek. You know, uh, we uh, we lived up there for a little while. Uh, my dad and his brothers and his dad had a had a family ranch up there, uh, and. Then we we moved to Adrian when I was probably five, and we were here for the most part, you know, till till now. I guess I moved across the state line, so I live in Parma, uh, technically, but we're we're just right here, pretty close to Adrian, and we go to school in Adrian and everything, or we we take our boys to school in Adrian and everything like that. And have you got sisters, brothers? Two two sisters, uh, an older and a younger sister, and uh, we grew up on a on a pretty small farm right here in in Adrian. Uh, I think we we had 120 acres and helped irrigate for you know well we helped 
we help I help dad irrigate and all that kind of stuff, and we helped a lot of neighbors irrigate and different things growing up. Well, what a lot of people don't know though is is the difference between a hundred acres and a thousand acres is just the size of the tractor. It's still the same amount of work. Well, yeah, it's 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 an all day deal anyhow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you just you just have to have bigger tractors if you farm more and it, it it really you know the the tractor deal was a big part of why i became a horse trainer it seemed like you know all of our equipment was kind of old and and my dad had a pretty good feel for how to kind of get by it without causing any disaster it seemed like every time i went to do anything i broke more than i fixed you know i or i you know it took longer to fix the tractor than it would have for him to do it himself so i think it was pretty frustrating keeping me going on the tractor i know one of my one of my favorite stories my my younger brother used to work for willie richards when he was in in brownsville i don't know willie might still be there but um bobby tells a story about hooking up a brush hog to the tractor and it was august and it was hot and they were bent over in the and the drive line the uh wouldn't wouldn't connect to the to the pto on the tractor and they were bent over hammering it and and bobby uh bobby asked willie says you like this mechanic work willie and willie looks at him with sweat dipping down his face bent over and he says i'd rather have fleas and that's kind of how I feel about mechanic work myself. So I can appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's every time I'm having a bad day, you know, I think to myself, you know, a guy could be driving a tractor right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, so were you, were you exposed to horses as a youngster or? You know, we kind of we kind of had horses. Uh, we had a well, we had an old horse named Stony uh, that we could ride, and we had a little little pony named Sugarfoot. And every time friends would come over, we'd go out and race them and stuff. And you know, when we first got that little pony, it seemed like we had to break her the whole time. You know, and and uh, it was it was pretty fun. We had those, and then uh, I, I guess we always had some horses around, anyhow. <clears throat> so did did you compete in high school rodeo and things like oh, that no. no we didn't have that kind of horses we had horses that you could kind of ride and stuff and uh then we had some i i got a couple of colts uh from my grandpa that that i kind of worked on starting and stuff i'll probably i probably started that project in junior high maybe uh then it was a pretty it was a pretty big project for me, not knowing you know what what to do and stuff, and and uh, we kind of it took forever to get those first couple ones kind of halfway broke. So you, you did did you have kind of a guide when you were doing that? Did you have anybody that was giving you some help, or did did you just yeah. have to figure it out? Well, my dad he showed me how to kind of lunge one around and and uh, you know how to my my dad and grandpa showed me how to kind of get one's head around to you and uh, you know all the basic stuff you know uh but uh yeah so i i definitely had a guide it was more just knowing kind of the 
the time and I, I don't know. There's just, there's just a lot of stuff that you don't you take for granted that seems super simple now, but at that time, you know, it was a little more complicated. Sure. So, so when when did that when did that or how did that more how is more more uh, more relevant? I think. How did you make the decision to actually decide you wanted to make your living with horses? Because I know I know you'd rather you'd rather do that than drive a tractor, but you know you could. There, there's other things that you could do too. So, right. what what you know you know I guess I I guess I you know other than thinking maybe I could go play professional football or something. I never I never thought about doing anything else. Uh, besides either either farming or ranching uh besides the horse deal and uh <clears throat> one time i think i i was probably maybe 12 or 13 and i'd been driving tractor all summer and i was pretty excited to go up up to westfall because i was going to go up there and i don't i don't know what i was going to do but i was just going to take a break from you know whatever i was doing down here and they put me on a tractor up there and i drove tractor for few weeks and uh i got to chucker hunt after i got done driving the tractor you know and the last the last day up there uh grandpa said well let's we let's uh leave the tractor deal alone and we'll 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 go sort some pairs or something and so we got on some horses and went out and sorted some pairs and i i kind of made up my mind right there that if you could if you could get a job where you did that that I was going to, I was going to do it. And I'd never seen a cutting horse or anything, but I, I kind of made up my mind. I was going to try to train cutting horses right there. Well, that that's, that's really cool. So you, the first time you felt the horse kind of take over and, and start reading the cow, that, that was it for you. Yeah. And I mean, compared to like a cutter, it was, it was miles away, but it was, it was just enough of the, of the feel that it it was there was enough to get me hooked i guess then i mean you had to help i mean they wouldn't make a turn with your hand down but but they were you know they were helping and and so and basically you're you're kind of running around there chasing cows on a horse so i i got the idea that that was a lot more fun than any of the other work that i had done before oh goodness yes I know that's what that's what got my dad hooked on it, and you know he he managed ranches professionally, and and you know while we were on the ranch there was never time for for cutting horses, but when we when we kind of moved into town, um, you know he 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 was nuts about it and infected all of us kids with it too. Um, oh yeah, you know and and my mom my my mom was crazy nuts about it. And so for for us, it's kind of a family deal. So in in your family, is it is it kind of a family deal? Are your kids interested in it? And, and does does your wife does your wife have that uh, that affliction? No, you know, uh, not not really. I think my my oldest son he really really likes it, but uh, I don't see the I don't see the you know addiction that that i had at all you know it it any in any of them for sure um so when 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 you had that 
that epiphany that you wanted to make your living on the back of a horse, what what steps did you take um, to make that desire a reality? You know, when when uh, I started, I suppose I started a couple of horses for I started a couple of horses for my grandpa to, to very first start with, uh, like I said, and then as I got where I kind of kind of figured out some of the things that it took to actually get one started, I started uh, I started starting colts for the neighbors, you know, just whoever. Whoever had a horse around, I would take it for, for 10 rides, you know, for $10 a ride or something, you know, and, and that's, that's pretty much where I got started. I started doing it in the, in the summers when I wasn't farming. So you, you weren't, you weren't the guy that said, okay, I'm going to learn how to do this. And so you went and, and understudied with a, with a cutting horse trainer. You know, when I went, I got, I went and got a job with, uh, well, I, I uh I got a job with uh Bobby Usher up here in Little Valley when he was when he was here for probably about six months. But at the time I went to work for him, I had already I had already uh started, I think I had you know, I'd kind of kept track of him, about a hundred and ten head of horses. So it wasn't you know, it wasn't that, I wouldn't say that's where it started, you know, I, I already had it kind of going pretty good, and I'd already started a lot of them on, on cutting, I'd never quite got one trained, uh, but I had them where I could kind of drop my hand and they would kind of cut. So, what, um, what, what did you do to, to polish your skills to, to, to get, I mean, your horses, I, I want everybody to know, uh, Mr. Jordan's horses are phenomenal. They are extremely well-trained um, and they're, and they're natural. And, and you watch his two-year-olds and you go, how the heck did he get a two-year-old to do that? So it, it, it's not like, you know, you just showed up for work and, and it's magic. I, I'm a hundred percent certain that there is a tremendous amount of work and learning that went into getting to where you are now. Um, so what, what, you know, was it trial and error, Richard, or, or did, did, you know, how, how did you go about, you know, it, it was a lot trial and error and a lot, uh, like videos. Uh, I would, I would watch, I think the 99 futurity and the, and the 2000 futurity, uh, I probably watched those a thousand times, you know, uh, and that's been, that's been a little over 20 years ago now, but, uh, that's, that's kind of what I could get my hands on at the time. And that was before I went, went to work for Bobby. Uh, I would watch those just, just every, every night and study how those horses moved, you know, and it was, it was like Shania C and, and uh, Royal Fletch. And then, uh, classical cd there there was a bunch of those horses that were just phenomenal movers and and you know i just i just watched that and watched that and try to get try to get horses to move like that so basically you you had a picture in your mind of what you wanted your horse to look like 
and then you experimented with ways to get the horse to that place. Yep. Yep. To to a large extent. I I uh you know, I I worked uh for Bobby for about six months. Then, you know, during that time I I kind of decided I definitely didn't like cleaning stalls. That was sort of the main that was sort of the main thing that if I took anything away from that, I I learned that for sure. But uh <laughs> You know, I was able to see somebody, you know, uh, put pressure on a horse in such a way to get them, get them to, to lock on and move and stuff. And so, and so that, that helped a lot, but, uh, and like, I think, uh, Bobby had like a Pat Patterson video that I watched over and over again, and he got me a book. He got me a book. Uh, it was Bill, a Bill Friedman book that I read a lot, where where he explained a lot of different things. Uh, you know, it, it was a it was a really good book uh, because because it's not like he's just you know in the book it's not like it's just like easy. You know, he explains you know all the all the little. Uh, problems that you run into and the little ways that you bump a horse or you do this or tip their head or you know compensate for all the little things that start to go wrong it was a pretty good book the way i remember it anyhow i i i'm a i was a a, a huge fan of, of of bill and and he's he was so well spoken um and and not not at all i think how a lot of people uh you know he 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 wasn't in person he wasn't like you know the the untouchable god that trained smart little lena that nobody would talk could talk to um he was as humble a man as i've ever met um you know, which i always thought was funny having somebody with that much talent um bill told me years ago that if he could make as good a living riding bucking bulls as he did riding cutting horses he'd ride bulls and I almost fell off the fence when he told me that it's, but you know, that, that just says that, you know, he didn't, he didn't think, you know, so much of himself that, that he was better than anybody. Um, and if you watched him ride, I don't know if there's anybody that could set a more athletic course correctly. Maybe Austin Shepard can, um, but the, the man could really ride. Yeah, absolutely. And that book, that book was really, it was really good. Uh, it was a really good uh, place to place to, I guess I, I shouldn't say start from because I'd already kind of had a lot of horses pretty much trained. But it, it, if if you're kind of, you know, if a person's trying to, to learn cutting and, and kind of halfway struggling, it was a good book for me at the time, for sure. So if somebody wanted to get into cutting, um, you know, what, what recommendations do you make to, you know, somebody that, that comes to you and says, I'd like to do this. What, what would you tell them? How, how would you suggest somebody get started? I guess it depends on, on whether they're wanting to be a trainer or wanting to show a horse, you know, if, if they're wanting to show a horse, they definitely need to, uh, you know, buy a, buy a trained horse and just basically 
basically work with someone that understands how to keep that horse trained. But if they're if they're wanting to become a trainer, I don't think there's any one way to go about it. I think you could go about it a lot quicker, you know, by working with someone that knows what they're doing. And you could uh, the main thing that that would speed up the process is uh, getting in a situation where you're riding a lot of good horses. I don't I don't think there's there's any substitute for that. I think, you know, when when I started, you know, I'd have a good horse uh, and then a handful that maybe maybe were okay but didn't really want to cut and then, you know, uh, a bunch of just colts that I was starting or, you know, renegades or whatever. And and uh, it's it's really hard to learn you know, you, you just learn so much faster if you're riding 20 or 30 that kind of want to cut, you know, and you're just going from horse to horse doing the same thing over and over again. You, you get a better feel way quicker. So I, I would put myself, it, like if I had it to do over again and I wanted to learn fast, I mean, I wouldn't change anything, but if I wanted to learn fast, I would put myself in a situation where I could ride a lot of horses, you know, and a lot of good horses. They they say great horses make good trainers. I think there's something like some saying out there like that. But yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, you know, and and I think I think it takes it takes it takes those great horses to make a good trainer. But you have to have hundreds behind you before you get that before you get that great one because it takes it takes a tremendous amount of experience. I think. Uh -huh. uh, or at least it did for me. My grandpa, he told me when I very first started, he said, oh, you'll run about 100 of them before you make a good one. And I kind of quit keeping track, but it I was up closer to 1,000, I think, that I started <laughs> before I before I thought I made a good one. So, uh, Buster Welch tells one of my one of my favorite Buster stories is is he he talks about when he was a youngster and he was campaigning Marion's girl for the world. And he said he'd, he'd go to these shows and, and all of his friends had come up and and tell him what a wonderful Mary had. He said, you know, they'd say, oh, she's so good. And she's, you know, you're you're so lucky. And 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 Buster Buster says, you know, after a while, I get I got kind of bowed up. He says, you know, I trained that Meyer. And he says, after after we retired, Marion's girl, he says, I ruined 400 horses trying to make another one like her. Um <laughs> Well, yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. But I, I guess, I guess it takes it takes, uh, you know, it takes a a really good one to give you that initial feel for what you want it to be like, for sure. So, having having said that, um, tell me about a horse that you've had that that really touched your heart, touched your heart. You know, when I got when I got done working for uh, Bobby, uh, I I came back and uh, was living with my parents, and we, me and Dad went and bought a horse named Goodlinks Forty Five, and we we called him uh, we called him Tiger, but he was a four year old when we got him, and uh, he was he was just just barely halter broke. I still remember. When we went to get that horse, uh, 
went over here to a guy named Shannon Pierce owned him. Uh, that horse was tied to a little bell of grass hay or something when we pulled in there. And he just, he looked like a, like a Mustang kind of, you know, he, he was a little smaller than he should have been for four years old and, and, you know, in, in a little bit rough shape, you know, and just standing there tied to that bell of hay. And I just thought, well, huh, because, you know, he, at, at that time, I think, I think we gave two or $3,000 for him. And that was a lot of money, but you know, you just, you're just, it's, it's hard to find like now I can find nice horses fairly easy, but at that time I had no idea where to even start. Uh, but we got this horse and of course he was by Connellinx that had won, uh, 70 or 80,000. And I think he placed real high at the super stakes. And then he was out of a daughter of Lonesome Tiger who had, who had, uh, won a reserve world title, uh, to Freckles Playboy, I think like in, I want to say it, it was 78 or something. I don't, maybe I'm wrong about yeah, that. Yeah. Freckles, Freckles Playboy ca- campaigned in the campaigned in the late seventies. That, yeah. that was I one of the hot horses when I was in high school was, was Freckles Playboy, uh, Buster campaign, Little Peppy when I was in junior high, and and that's a that's about when when Freckles Playboy was being shown. Yeah, so I think I got my story straight. It was, yeah. I think it was in '78 that that Lonesome Tiger was a was a reserve world champion too. Uh, but uh, that horse, we we took him home, and and I think it wasn't a month and a half. You know, I was. I was feeding him all the all the corn he would eat, and just riding him. And it, it, it luckily he stayed he stayed sound because he went from being, you know, just kind of a little skinny guy to being corn fed and getting rode for about three hours a day, you know, kind of instantly. But it didn't take him very long to, it didn't take him very long to figure out how to cut. I could drop my hand within a month and a half on that horse. I could drop my hand. I mean, he would hold a cow. And probably about six months, I took him to my first show, and he looked right at the roof. I don't think he'd been in a building before. He looked right at the roof the whole time, and the judge marked me a 45. Over over here, it was my first Boise Valley show. I marked a 45, and uh, you'd, think, you'd think I was disappointed. You know, I entered the open, and <laughs> uh-huh. I was expecting to win. But I I figured out pretty quick what the problem was. You know, I I still had a lot of confidence in in uh, the situation. I just I just knew I needed to get him in the barn a few more times. And then the next month I took him back, and I think I marked a sixty-seven. Uh, you know, and then and then the then the year of showing was over, and I had a whole nother winter to work at it. When I came out in the spring, I marked a I marked a seventy-one on him. So. Over the course of about a year, that sorry, no, that, horse, that horse took me from that horse took me from not really. I mean, I could get my hand down on on some horses, and I could kind of, you know, they would sure make some moves with me and stuff to you know actually being able to to go, drop my hand at a show and get through the show. Yeah, there, there's a big difference, right, between having one at home that that 
you know, you can kind of kind of keep in the middle of the arena and, and work OK. When you go to the show at some point on these weekend deals, they're going to go to the wall. And if you're going to get anything done, you got to be able to go to the wall, stay straight, come back to the middle of the arena, expose the horse and break that down. Um, you know, otherwise, it's just a, a foot race for two and a half minutes. It, yeah, it's a lot harder than it looks. Yeah. And you've got to be able to do all that with with your hand down, you know, and, and at home you think you're doing really good because, you know, you get in those little funny spots and and you kind of go over there and help them help them back a little better or whatever. And and it, it works just fine. And you feel like you're really getting them trained. But then you go to the show and they're a little less confident anyway, because it's a different place and everything. And and you you have to drop your hand in those little spots and and you have to be able to ride them through ride them through those those little tough spots without without any help at all and you know it at first in it seems it seems like you're trying to help them to one spot and and they don't they don't listen like they do at home they're they're like well i think he means go over there but maybe he means go go up there i don't know you know, and, and so to get a horse my first time that basically he, he went out there and basically tried to help me, uh, from the get go was pretty cool. So, so that, that first, that, that horse probably fair to say he, he helped you kind of change how you went about it a little bit. Yeah. He, he helped me get from, from, trying to being able to do it you know from from trying to train a cutter to to knowing how to train a cutter what yeah. what the elements are that you actually do have to have to to get through i i know for me one of the you know my, my horses would, would be really good at home and and then i'd go to the show and and sometimes the wheels would come off the train and and it finally occurred to me that um you know i I, I, as much as I tried to tell myself, I didn't care about what everybody else thought. Um, I did care about, you know, I mean, these are all, you know, the, the, the trainers that had spent hours helping me and my friends that were watching me. And, and it was really hard for me to stay as relaxed and, and be there for my horse. Um, like it was when I was at home and, and nobody was watching, but, you know, but, absolutely but. absolutely i think nerves nerves play a huge part in in the performance that that you you know are able to put on uh i i always feel like i always feel like at least two weeks before the show you know i just kind of lose i lose the feel in my fingertips and i lose that what whatever it is that allows you to really connect with your horse you know, uh, you lose it due, due to nerves, due to thinking about too many things. You're not, you're not thinking about training your horse. You're thinking about how this is going to look at the show. And then of course you get to the show and it's even worse, you know, cause you're not just thinking about your horse connecting with that cow. You're thinking about, you know, what so-and-so over there is thinking or, you know, uh, there, there's just, there's just so much there's just so much that goes into it that when you add when you add more uh, it's too much to focus on and you lose that feel right right and i i think there's 
there's also that imposter syndrome. I mean, I, I, I showed as a non-pro, um, so it wasn't like I was holding my shingle out as anything special, but I, I'm sure for, for the guys making a living doing it, you know, it's like, well, who, who am I to be out here taking money to train these things when my horse runs off and hangs his head over the fence? You know, that, that's got to weigh heavy on your mind, right? <laughs> yeah, that does. I, I think that, you know, the cutting deal is really interesting because basically you have to get your competition to help you. And, uh, you know, the, the, the competition is all basically competing for the same industry. And, and so when you first start and you're, you're kind of the competition, I think, and, and I think it's more, I think it's more, I think it's more on, you know, I think, I think for me, it was more on me. I think most of the guys around here did their best to help and and they they you know when you get to the age that I am now you're trying to help people because because you know that basically growing the industry is, is going to help you in the long run and so I think that competitive worry or whatever mo mostly comes from you know not knowing and feeling like you're an imposter more than more than it comes from the actual you know established trainers feeling that way about you kind of uh I'm right because th those guys all feel the exactly same way i mean i i've had the i've had this conversation with 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 annie and with uh uh towards doll and and you know it, it's it, it's it runs rampant i mean we i don't think any of us that are that have been humbled by horses i think it's hard to believe that we deserve it right <laughs> that's a good point yeah yeah um, so what, what, what place do you think horsemanship plays? I mean, I have an opinion, but what, what do you think is, is the role of horsemanship in, in cutting horses? I know when, when I was a youngster, uh, you know, Leo Woodbury tried his best to try and teach me a little bit about horsemanship and, and, and I wouldn't have it. I just wanted to run and stop. And, and so I'm sure at this point in your career, horsemanship's probably a little more important in what you do. Um, talk talk to me a little bit about the role of horsemanship in in cutting horses. Yeah, so so basically, to to me, to me, with cutting horses, you can get them, you can you can get them to kind of do it without a ton of horsemanship, but if if you want them to do it and and really show their personality you know there's no limit to how much horsemanship it takes you know you have to feel you have to try to feel every little thing that that horse is feeling you know and you have to try to compensate for every every weakness that that horse has and you have to try to you have to try to elaborate on every strength that that horse has and and so you know to 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 get a horse that goes out there and kind of turns and kind of looks at the cow and, and has a little extra connection, you know, I, I just, I don't think there's any end to the horsemanship it takes. Um, what, tell, talk to me a little bit about, um, you know, this is kind of a, kind of one of those questions I like to throw out there. What, what's one thing 
that your your particular program did for one of your clients that you didn't expect to have happen? Um, you know, it seems like it seems like everything that everything that comes to mind of that's noteworthy at all. Uh, it took me a lot of a lot of work uh, directly towards that towards that goal to to get it to ha to to happen you know uh i don't know you know when todd and i started that i ever expected to top the sale you know at, at fort worth um just the way that the way that we do things you know i kind of i kind of i guess i i knew we were going to train some really really good horses but i i didn't really expect you know to top the sale uh and 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 a lot of that was just was just basic numbers you know uh if you you know if you're competing against a, a yearling that started out worth 150 or 200,000 you, you know you have a lot further to go than uh, like itchy's my choice uh Todd bought her for 6,000 you know and i i think you know she she didn't top the sell but she was second uh then just initially starting out, you know, I, I guess, I guess I expected to, to take really good horses down there and I expected to, to do well, but, uh, I didn't have a picture in my head of topping that sale at all with the, with the business frame that we had, you know. And would, would you say that, that built a, built a fire? I mean, and, uh, t tell our listeners a little bit about who, who Todd is and, and what, what it is that, I mean, I, I hate to say that that makes you famous or or defines your career, but I I think it it certainly at the national level is is certainly you got you got everybody's attention. Yeah, at the national level, the the two year old uh, program that Todd and I have definitely definitely made me, uh, you know, where a lot of people recognize me or know me. Uh, where we're just training here locally you know there there was no uh there was nobody from texas that knew me at all and so starting to bring good two-year-olds down there and and then having some of them go on to win really big uh that that definitely that definitely put me in a different you know in a different category as far as being able to have enough horses in the barn to ride you know i or in the in the program i should say to ride uh once, like we sold, we sold Itchy's My Choice for three hundred thousand, uh, I think in two thousand fourteen, and after that, since since then, you know, we've never we've never been short on horses to ride. I've never thought, you know, where's that next horse going to come from? Uh, so, having some success on that on national level has really, you know, that that was a big that was a big deal for us. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, I'm sure it was life changing, right? You know, uh, it sure felt like it at the time. Uh, I I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how much it really it really changed. You know, I still I still do the do the same thing uh, every day and still have a lot the same same life. But it uh, it definitely it definitely made it where. Well, I, I bet that year I probably turned down a couple hundred head of horses to ride, you know, and before that I was just, 
if I had enough horses to ride, you know, I was, I felt really lucky. You know, I, I always, always had enough that I felt real busy, but, uh, there was, there was always, you know, one, one that was some sort of a deal where I was trading for this or that, you know, so I always had more than enough horses to ride, but they, they weren't necessarily always just, uh, paying customers. And, and I always needed more. It seemed like, and, and after that, it, it seemed like we, you know, we turned down more horses than we took since then. Well, and, and certainly you got to ride after that, you know, a higher percentage of great horses, right? I mean, the quality of horses you got to ride, I'm sure went way up. Yeah. Uh, basically for the most part, I, I ride, you know, horses for Todd now, Todd Nelson. Uh, we probably start 25 colts a year. Uh, and that's gradually worked, worked up. We, we probably started 15 at the time that we had Itchy's My Choice. And so it's gradually getting to be a little more and a little more. Hopefully next year it'll be a few less. But, uh, yeah, if you're, if you're riding, if you're starting with that many, there's going to be some really, really good ones. And then just here locally in the Boise Valley, it seems like, you know, I, ha- I have more people locally, uh, throwing out an idea. Well, could you help me with this horse or that horse? And, and they're absolutely better horses than what I, than what I was starting 10 years ago, for sure. So are, are you, are you, uh, are you teaching or, or just riding horses? Do you, do you give lessons? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, more than anything, I mostly give lessons to some of the people that, uh, that were were kind of clients before before I started having a lot of success uh but you know for the for the most part you know those same people still come out and ride with me you know or or people people that I had a pretty good relationship in the Boise in the Boise Valley Club you know that you know I haven't I haven't taken a ton of new customers I guess is what I'm saying uh-huh. uh as far as the local or or the uh the training customer horses just just because that's not you know i i don't want to get clear away from it because i think i learn a lot uh helping people but at the same time that's not the part of my business that i need to expand at all because it takes it takes too much time uh away from the two-year-old program okay yeah i was just i was just curious if you know because a lot of you know that's one of the things that that bill freeman did was as you know when he became an overnight success after 20 years of riding horses uh you know everybody wanted him to put on a school um and so he he did he did a lot of a lot of teaching um and i I was just curious if that if maybe that that might be in your future sometime yeah i think eventually uh eventually you know that it's uh eventually it's 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 really enjoyable for sure you know to feel like you you have something to offer people uh in that way and and so you, you know it, it it's a i don't think you know like at this point i think my time as far as as far as financially my time is much better off spent riding those two-year-olds but you know i think probably probably three or four days a week around four o'clock we we start working horses and we work till maybe seven or something in the summer with, with the clients, with customers. Uh, uh-huh. so, so I probably do, I probably do, uh, 
uh, two or three hours of that three or four days a week all year. Uh, not right now in the middle of winter, but uh, once the days get long enough. So, and, and it's the thing about the thing about helping other people um, that I really like is, is for some reason you'd learn a lot more when you have to dissect it in such a way to be able to explain it. Uh, you, you really, you really learn, you learn a different, you, you learn in a different way, I guess, than you do when you're just working that horse yourself. And so I feel like it helps me stay sharper and stay more, more in tune. You know, I, I feel, I feel like when I'm helping people at least a certain amount, I ride better. Yeah. Okay. So, so when you, when you give those lessons, are you, I mean, when, 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 when I was, when I was involved, I, I, I didn't, I, I didn't have the money to put a horse in training with somebody. So, you know, when my, my first two-year-old, I, I got loaded up and shipped out for a summer to me and my horse went and spent the summer with Jack McCumber and his kids. Um, and I was, I was basically free labor so that he would help me, you know, work with my horse once a day. Um, and, and every lesson and, and, and everything that I did was basically teaching me, you know, less about how to show and more about how to get my horse right. So with your non-pros, are, are you, are you giving them instruction on how to effectively show a horse or how to effectively keep their horse right or a combination? Yeah, definitely a combination. I'm, I'm basically trying to, and and it's different. You know, we have a few. I have a, a few different people that I'm helping, and and they're at different spots with their horse. Uh, you know, and and so, uh, kind of depending on where they're at, your your focus changes a little bit. And if they're, if they're at a spot where they need to focus on their horse then we focus on their horse if they're at a spot where they need to focus on the way they're riding then we focus on the way they're riding and 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 the two work together the two go hand in i know i know from for for what i've watched i i I think one of the hardest things to to learn um is is how to is how to make that you know they call it cutting but the you know that what looks to be the sim the simplest thing is making making a cut um is one of the most high pressure difficult things to accomplish that shouldn't be you know it shouldn't be that hard to cut one cow standing in the middle of the arena you can you can do it on foot time after time after time but you get on a horse and get in a show ring and oh lord the things that can go wrong right yeah i always you know every time every time i'm working horses with anybody it just seems like seems like i always end up getting two cows cut at least once you know and i and i always point it out you know it's just it always shocks me you know how easy it should be to get a cow cut and and even as long as i've been doing it i end up i end up getting two cut it seems like once a day i mean without without fail you always get you get that situation where you get two cows cut and it just seems it seems like a person should be able to get good enough at it that you just don't really make mistakes but it's it's 
doesn't seem to happen. You know, it, there's always there's there's you, just when you th- you know maybe you go ten runs in a row without having any mistake. You think you're really you think you're really pretty good at it, and then you'll have a couple of runs in a row where you can't get one thing done correctly. Uh, right. It's definitely one of the things as for, as far as showing horses. It's one of the things that is is super humbling about this, and and one of the things that keeps people, I think, excited about the sport because you know it doesn't it doesn't matter how good you get you can't it it doesn't seem like you can really just go win every time you know it just it's, yeah mastery is impossible right right yeah that's what i'm trying to say exactly i know one of the one of the things most people don't know about buster welch and and you know we all know he's the he's the greatest cutter to ever throw a leg over a horse but and and he'll tell you that that Buster will say he's not a he's not a horse trainer he's a cowman, and and the greatness of Buster Welch was that he understands cattle so well, um, that I mean that that guy can cut after cut after cut because he understands cattle. His horses. I mean, I, I when I was a little kid, I watched him show Little Peppy at the. They used to have for the pre-rodeo event they'd have a open cutting at Caldwell Night Rodeo and and I got to watch Buster Marcus 75 five nights a row in a row at the Caldwell Night Rodeo and they they didn't set up a drift fence I mean they run 60 head of cattle in that rodeo arena and and Buster went to cutting and showed us how to do it and, and little Peppy wasn't I mean if you look if you looked at how that horse worked and how our horses today work they're you know that that horse was not, you know, clean moving, you know, run and stop and roll over his hocks. I mean, little Peppy just did what he needed to and was athletic enough to stay in front of a cow. And Buster was savvy enough to be able to work a cow anywhere. Um, and and that's you know, Buster will tell you that's he's a cow man. He's not a. He said there's a bunch of guys that are more you know better trainers. Um, you know, he he's. He would he would tell you Gary Belafont and, and Shorty Freeman were horse trainers, and he's just a cowman. So that yeah. that cutting, you know, we call it cutting, but the hard, almost the hardest thing to do is to, I mean, it's hard to have a seventy five run if you don't cut right. Yeah, you have to get you have to get you have to get that cow set up to be good. Uh, it's it doesn't it doesn't work if you don't get them set up to be good. So a little a little bit about back back to your to your two year old program. What what do you think? I mean, when you when you're evaluating young horses, you know what do you what do you look for? Um, I mean, is it just pedigree? Is it confirmation? Is it attitude? You know, talk to us a little bit about how you make your decision as as far as what what horses of. I mean, you bring in twenty five a year, but you you've got you know hundreds of thousands to choose from. So so really, I'm not the one making the decisions. As far as the buying goes, Todd, Todd does all the buying and uh, that's kind of his, his part of that. So he would probably be the one to ask about that. Uh, What, what I look for once I get them here, you know, is just how good they feel. Once, once you, once you get a hold of them uh, or you get, get on them and start riding them, you, you know, for, for, 
for me, you know, I've never noticed a really specific deal with their pedigree or a really specific deal with uh, the way they're built. Um, there, there's, there's no specific thing that that I can say makes a horse good. Uh, there's things that you kind of like. Uh, for instance, I, I like them to be wide wide behind and set those legs out real wide, you know, uh, their hind legs out real wide. But then like that first horse I was telling you about that was so good for me, you know, his, his back legs when he stopped were, were, uh, 12 inches apart. You know, I mean, he, he turned in just, just slightly in the back and that horse was still phenomenal. So, uh, I think it, it just comes down to the individual. Uh, you know, horses are a lot like people, but the ones that really, really want to be, want to be good, you know, it's almost like they want to be successful. You know, I mean, they, and, and there's nothing you can do to, there's nothing you, you can do to make them want that. Or the, there's nothing that I can see that you can pick out to, to tell whether a horse is one that wants to be good. So you just you just basically got to give them a shot, and I know Buster Welch says that there's there's nothing you can do to put it in them, but you can sure do a lot of things to take it out of them. You can run one pretty easy, but you can't make one any better than they are when you start. That was I I saw an interview he did on uh, on RFD TV. Um, he was taking questions, and and Larry Reeder called in and and asked him asked Buster. He said what. If you were to do, if you were to to do your career over again, what what would you do different? Um, and Buster said that he he would be more selective in the horses that he trained. That he said when he was a young man, he thought a lot more of his ability than he should have, and so he he tried to make horses be cutting horses that really really should have been something else. Um, absolutely so i'll ask i'll ask i'll ask you that that same question what if you if you were to go back and do it over again i know you said you wouldn't change anything but uh, i'll bet there's there's one or two things you might do different well if 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 my goal uh if my goal was to get to be a really uh successful trainer you know as quick as possible yeah, absolutely. I was just telling Todd uh, Bays, the guy that works for me or wor works with me on the, right now, the other day I was saying that I have absolutely wasted more time than I've than I've spent good on on cutting horses because there's so many of them that just don't make it, and you just keep you just keep trying to make them do it, and they just don't want to, and and you just keep you know you just keep trying to make it fit and it doesn't fit and i don't think there's any way to completely avoid that but obviously being more more selective and and being a little bit quicker to kind of to kind of allow one to go a different direction is is probably very intelligent as far as as far as uh spending your time wisely so when when you bring in a bring in a the horses from todd do you guys sit down and have a conversation along those lines about, you know, expectations and, and, or yeah, most is it, of our, 
most of our conversation is is done while we're actually working horses. You know, he comes out and watches them. Uh, you know, and we just we just evaluate them, and and uh, you know, he takes a little bit of video of every horse every time he comes out, and then he'll watch it and evaluate them, and and it's just it's just fun to try to guess which ones are going to be the really good ones, and it's it's usually it's usually pretty easy. You know, it's it's pretty rare that you have one that is just terrible to begin with that comes on and is excellent. Uh, usually it's the wild, crazy ones that have have room to gain. Uh, I say that, but last year, last year we had kind of a a fairly lazy cult that came on and was pretty exceptional. So uh, there's no way to be, you know, there's no way to be perfect about it. But but that is. That is a constant, you know, with our two-year-old program, just evaluating what they are and trying to guess what they're going to be is just, it, that's a constant. Uh, well, and know. it has to be nice to be, to have an owner who is, who is kind of hands-on and involved in, and, and understands, you know, what it is you're trying to do. Um, I know, you know, I, I remember several occasions, it was kind of, kind of a joke at the time, but you know, non-pros would lose a cow and they'd lean over, look back over the shoulder and glare at their trainer like the trainer lost the cow. And and, and that's just, you know, a symptom of, of unrealistic expectations. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think that's that's part of what makes our our uh, program so successful is is that, uh, you know, Todd has extremely realistic expectations and. Uh, you know, when, when it's time to call one, you know, he doesn't, ex he doesn't expect to put a bunch of extra effort into getting, you know, what he has into a horse out of it. He just, when it's time to call one, uh, it's, it's time for him to go. That's just it. And, and, you know, they, they go for what they're worth, not, not for what we have in them. Um, so what, what's, what do you think if you were to say, and, and, and I know you got to get, you got to get riding it's daylight, but, um, what's what's the most important thing in your life that horses have taught you um is there is there so, something a life lesson that horses have taught you yeah you know and i i i read through those questions and i had a i had a good i had a good one but i forgot it completely uh that gets a lot better when you get to be my age just just so you know no shoot <laughs> you know one thing one thing that I think is is really important when you're dealing with a horse or or a, or a person when you're dealing with a different personality than yourself is is you have to be able to try to feel feel what they're feeling and uh, I think if you can if you can put yourself in in their shoes whether it's a horse or a person I think I think it goes a long ways and you know a guy forgets that a lot. Uh, especially watching basketball and and uh watching the ref make the wrong call you 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 pretty well forget really quick how that goes but the better the better you can put yourself in someone else's shoes uh like like if I was to take something from from horse training that doesn't have anything to do with horses uh tra training horses you learn to put yourself in that horse's position and try to feel what they're feeling and and you know with with regret with relationships re regarded you know you know with regard to people 
it's the exact same thing. You have to try to be able to feel what they're feeling uh, to get to get something accomplished the best, whether it's whether it's uh, coaching or, or working with somebody uh, or or even just walking through the line at the grocery store. I think it's it's really important. It's really important to be able to put yourself in someone else's spot. And, and try to feel what they're feeling as quick as possible. And I, I think that, that that helps that helps in a lot of ways. Excellent. I mean, I, I asked that question. Um, you know, Chris Cox says that God made horses to 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 teach us. The reason he said the reason uh, you know, in medieval times, the reason that horsemanship was taught to the to the kids was, you know, it it, it taught it taught the royal children how to be you know, humble, humble leaders and not rulers. Um, because, you know, you, you, you can't, you can't really apply force and, and learning how to lead. You, you can't lead somebody if you don't know what, you know, how they feel. Um, so, you know, I, I really appreciate your answer there that, 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 that empathy is, is something that, I mean, I, I certainly hope that, that my horses teach me that. Um, one one more question, and I'll I'll let you get to riding. Is, um, is what's the best compliment you've ever received? You know, uh, you 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 sent me that. You know, and I, I absolutely, I can't figure out a a good answer for that. I haven't I haven't really got one. Uh, You're one of those guys that doesn't listen to that when, when uh, people tell you you know you did a good job. You, you, you know, I, I think I'm a little bit guilty of that is, you know, people will say that looked good. I'm like, well, if you thought that looked good, you should have been, you, you know, you should have felt it because it was, it was horrible. <laughs> and, and so they could tell me that that, that looked good and, and I won't hear it. Right. Um, yeah. I think, I think that that's pretty, pretty easy to do. Uh, it's, it's pretty easy, you know, uh, I don't know whether it's a personality deal or whatever, but I think a lot of people, a lot of people are always thinking about the, the things that they they need to do better and not not the not the things that they've you know accomplished for sure. Well, Richard, I, I really appreciate you giving me giving me your time this morning. Um I uh I'm I'm humbled that you would take the time. I, I know, you know, twenty five head of horses that, that 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 you've got in your program. That that doesn't happen in eight hours a day. That doesn't happen in ten hours a day. That that doesn't hardly even happen in sixteen hours a day. So, the the fact that you've taken taken this time this morning on a on a short winter when you've got so much to do, I, I really appreciate it, sir. Thank you very much. Well, thank you, Joe. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for joining me on Horse Sense One Hundred and One, a podcast dedicated to helping you have that meaningful relationship with your horse you always wanted to have. Please tell your horsey friends about us and invite them to join us on our Facebook group, Horse Sense 101, and every Monday for our podcast available at 6 a.m. Mountain Time. I'd like to thank you, my listeners, members, Mr. Richard Jordan, as well as my wife and friends that make all this possible. God bless you and have a wonderful week. In Story County, the Mustang still runs free. to stand for something that is precious and more rare than all the silver and the gold from them old mines.
Don't you let the killers take a sin 